Hey there, pending pals. It's your not host, Ronnie. Just dropping in here with a little disclaimer. Um, We recorded this episode before December 1st, 2020, which, if you don't know, is the day that Elliot Page came out as trans. Uh, That being the case, we did in this episode use um, Elliot's former name as well as used she, her pronouns. Um, If that is something that will make you uncomfortable. We totally understand. You can hop ahead to episode 117. I believe that is part four of our Gaycation series. Uh, And in that episode and the one after that, we use correct pronouns and Elliot's chosen name. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. In this universe, we look at a lot of things like failure is not such a bad thing. not failing you maybe you're not trying hard enough welcome to ending pending i'm your host andy i'm doing pretty good and i'm evan i'm doing good enough and i'm ronnie if you couldn't tell by those introductions ending pending is a podcast where we discuss television shows which have only lasted for a single season except fuck the rules because we're co- we are covering our first two season TV show, we're currently looking at Ellen Page's Gaycation, and covering episodes three and four of season one. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I've got a bit. Ooh. What? What? What's, what's, what's the bit? What's the bit? The bit is. That was, like, real intense, y'all. I don't know how I felt about that. But, anyway, the bit is, who is someone that you saw who gave you permission to be yourself? Hmm. 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 Someone we saw or someone, like, in our lives? I guess it would have to be. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be someone in your life. Like, it could be, I don't know, David Bowie. But, Mm. like, who is someone that, like, you saw them and you were like, oh, they're fucking killing it. I can be me. Uh, this is, like, it sounds kind of dumb and it's uh, very, like, it was, like, proto- self-discovery it was a very very early stage in me figuring out my whole deal um but the first time i ever saw someone talk about being transgender was on the cosplay.com forums uh i don't think that website exists anymore or if it does it doesn't exist in the form that it existed then but Cosplay.com used to just be a forum and photo sharing site for cosplayers. And the forums were very active and had a bunch of different, like, topics on different things. And I was, oh boy, I can't have been more than 14 or 15, but... In one of the forums on cosplay.com, I don't even know who it was. I didn't know them. I have no connection to them whatsoever. But I read this, like, like pages and pages and pages long 
uh, like forum conversation that was just this, uh, this trans woman coming out for the first time. I don't know why she chose cosplay.com to come out as trans. And it was clearly like still very new for her and she was still clearly figuring it out. But it was just a very like long and like quite supportive discussion from like other people. And it's not like a light bulb went off or anything. It's just like the first time I kind of became aware in the front of my mind, like conscious of trans people being real and a thing that existed in the world firsthand. So. What were they cosplaying? Oh, it wasn't even talking about cosplay. It was just a post of her like coming out. I think she made it at like two in the morning or something. And was just, like, like coming to grips with herself. And for whatever reason, like, cosplay.com was the, like, most supportive community she had. So. I hope she's doing great. I hope I she's, hope she's, she's great. thriving. If you're out there and you came out on cosplay.com circa, <laughs> um, it would have been, like, 2005, hit me up. Let me know how you're doing. I hope I hope you got everything you wanted in life. That's real good. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, dear. That's good. Um, for me, who am I going to pick? We'll go with this person. Um, when I was a, uh, angsty, angsty teen, um, and, and boy, howdy. I mean, still am, right? Um, that's, that's all of us, Ronnie. Right. <laughs> except except Andy. Andy was never angsty. Um, no, not really. I Angst. was just repressed. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess to some degree I was as well. Um <laughs> the uh the band that I uh most associated with was a uh, little punk punk Skillet. pop no, Hawk Nelson. Not. No, you you are oh, you it. are definitely extrapolating a little too hard from your <laughs> own experiences. Reliant um, K. No. Um, okay, I give up. In, in in the realm of Reliant K, I would say, but uh, this band was uh, say anything. Ooh. Um, and you know, definitely some problematic lyrics from you know two thousand two thousand five, but. They were very angsty and very, you know, in your face. And and I, you know, before I knew that uh, I should have known at this point because I I had a huge crush on on the lead singer, Max Bemis, and I should have known that there was something to that. Uh, But it was just, you know, dude crush, man crush, you know, Uh, very heterosexual. Um, And a couple years ago, a friend of mine, a a very good queer friend of mine, shared like this essay that Max Bemis had written all about their own gender identity and their sexuality and how it was like, you know, very fluid and and not, you know, anything that they were putting labels on and nothing that they were, you know, putting in concrete, but they were just basically saying like, I, I am definitely not heterosexual. I am definitely not cisgendered. And a lot of my life and music has been like trying to figure out what that means for me and my family and, and you know, everything that we are, uh, you know, 
going through and and like having had like so many screamo music sessions in the car when I was just like completely depressed and not really sure why uh singing along with Max Bemis like the fact that we were experience I I was experiencing kind of the same feelings of just not having words for what I was you know for the identity that I was I was living in um it 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 is what really gave me the per- literally gave me the permission and gave me the you know motivation to start exploring like okay something's always been different with my sexuality um and through the help of of them through the help of max and through the help of the cast of critical role um (laughs) I, i was able to to find out that that this this boy is bi um and and it was it was you know strange how like you know give permission is is the exact right way to put it Andy of just like it is strange how this random essay from a band that I truly hadn't followed or listened to in in several years really just kind of like allowed me to you know be myself and realize that myself had been something that I had been hiding from myself for a long time. That's super powerful, Ronnie. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Andy, what's 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 yours? So I had a pretty big presence on tumblr.com circa 2010 through 2014ish. Mm. That time period uh, when I was in college um, and I had a like anonymous flirtation with a blog I followed that was like slightly bigger than mine, more popular. And uh, the person running it was an out gay man uh, who was maybe like right around my age, maybe a little older. And uh, his followers called me Mr. Mystery, and we would flirt, and he would post my flirtings with him. (laughs) Uh, Because, I mean, I was on Anonymous, of course, because I'm, you know, I was was at Liberty University at the time. Uh, But it got to the point where, like, I came off Anon for him, and then he he did, like, a post, like, Mr. Mystery's come off Anon, and, like, I gave him my number, and, like, his followers were all gushing and shipping us. And I was so scared that someone at school would find out that I was flirting with this guy. But, like, he just had his shit together. He was in school for, like, theater design or, like, theater costume design and whatnot. And, um, like, getting to know him and seeing, like, this really cool, really confident, really fucking hot you know, gay man around my age was so powerful. Mm. And, um, like, I think I still at the time believed that like being gay was like scandalous and harmful and perverted. 
but he was just this incredibly kind-hearted, charming individual who loved tabletop games and costuming and all the stuff that I was also into. And he wasn't some, you know, sicko like I had been raised to believe gay people were. And, um, I don't know, it was really life-changing, like, having this online friendship where it was safe to, like, you know, explore that side of myself while I was in the most homophobic environment, probably, of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, like, Levi's doing great, he got married, he and his husband had matching R2-D2 and C-3PO rings, and the most, like, fucking adorable thing ever, and, like, he and I are still Facebook friends. Every so often we talk about, like, board games or something. Um, he's very happy that I, after a long time, <laughs> got my shit figured out. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and like, I, I messaged him once and was like, I don't know if you know how important this was for me, but thank you. And he was, he was very appreciative. So um, he's a cool dude. He's in Las Vegas doing, like, costuming shit. And... Uh, yeah, it, he was probably the first person that I felt like gave me permission to be me. Yeah. It's amazing how that works, huh? Yeah. This is a good bit, Andy. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thank, thank very, you for, thank a very you for heartwarming space. bit. You want to know how this came to me? How's that? Um, I got home from work after picking up Chinese food and... Uh, ate it as quickly as I fucking could is good good egg foo young and my tummy got real upset and I was like oh god my tummy is so upset I ate that food so fast <gasps> a bit and it was just there <laughs> who gave me that, permission that, to eat food like this <laughs> who, who let me do this I had a uh-huh. Tums and uh, we're doing okay now. But that was that was where the bit came from was eating egg foo young too you have, quickly so that we know, could record. You know how you always um, like brag about how fast you eat and criticize me for eating too slowly. I don't brag about Maybe it. Maybe you should you stop destroying your body with the speed at which you eat. <laughs> okay, I eat well, pretty fast too. Okay. Okay. I eat real fast. I eat real fast because I want to get the, the eat. I, I enjoy the eating. I want to finish the eating so I can get to the talking because I'm not going to talk <laughs> while I'm eating. I want to get the eating. I want to get the eating in me. <laughs> and if and if and if eating egg foo young fast gives us Andy's beautiful beautiful mind to create these bits, then damn it, shovel it in. There we go. Permission, as, as, permission as, granted. As as long as it is safe and your body is is dealing with it well, which I, it, it appears that it's not. But we we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about this show? I guess do we you should talk about Tums. This show. Kim, is that what this is? Kim is trying to sneak by to find Tums. It's in the cabinet above the sink. Kim ate too fast too. <laughs> Kim's tummy eats. <laughs> Kim's tummy hurts too. <laughs> They need the top cups. shelf, Kim. For for those of you at home, Kim is trying to sneak into our room to find the tummies. Find the tums. Tums for their tummies. Okay, okay. Uh, let's talk about this show. Let's yeah um, discuss. So 
So as we learned last time, it's a documentary series. And what the the hosts, Ellen Page and Ian Daniel, do is they go somewhere and explore that place's relationship with the LGBT community and the LGBT community's relationship with where they live. Uh, and these two episodes were Jamaica and then the United States and a tiny bit of Canada. They cheated a little bit by also going to Canada, but um, it's they explained why. Uh, so in the Jamaica episode, uh, among other things, they uh, spoke with some Rastafarians who are very into a message of love and peace and acceptance, unless you're gay, apparently. They spoke with a, um, a business owner who organizes safe vacations in Jamaica for queer people. Um, they spoke with a couple of different uh, activists and service providers working for the LGBT community in Jamaica. There was uh, someone who was providing uh, AIDS testing services and was struggling with basically laws that prevented her from serving gay people adequately. Um, and there was another activist who was a young lesbian woman who had started her own activist group after she was uh, tricked online uh, in what she thought was a safe space and was then sexually assaulted. Um, they visited a sort of a commune for homeless gay people and they attended Jamaica's first uh, gay pride event. Then in episode two, which was the U.S. and to a lesser extent Canada, they visited a two-spirit powwow in Saskatchewan, right? It was in mm -hmm. Canada. Um, and then Ellen Page got in a debate with Ted Cruz at a barbecue. Um, they went to the... This was filmed in 2015, which was... They filmed the portion where they were at New York Pride, um, like a few days after the Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage was handed down. Uh, so they interviewed a ton of people at New York Pride. Um, they spoke to some doctors and some patients at a clinic for uh, trans and gender non-conforming youth. Uh, they spoke to some organizers at a uh, shelter for LGBT youth in Los Angeles, and they... What was the last one? They went to a uh, retirement community for queer yes. elderly people. Yes, they went to a retire. That was the that was the other one I wanted to include, babe. Thank you for reminding me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they went to a... Uh, they they talked to quite a few like queer elders actually who talked about like their perspective on how things had changed in you know the last sixty years or so, uh, so they informally talked to some some older trans folks at various locations and then they also went to a LGBT specific retirement home 
which I think was in San Francisco. I'm not sure. It was in California somewhere. They spent a lot of time in San Francisco. They did spend a lot of time in San Francisco. Again, we're not doing this one uh, in terms of what worked and what didn't work, because this is life. Um, yeah, sometimes life works and sometimes it doesn't, unfortunately. Yeah, and that just it, is what it is. That's not our perspective. Nope, nope, nope. So let's just let's just get into it. Um, uh, Jamaica was depressing. Jamaica's Jamaica, rough. Let's Jamaica talk about, was really um, rough. I knew that was the one I was dreading most. I had like, of course, I've seen this series before with Andy and uh, as you know, kind of disheartening as Japan was and as kind of alarming as Brazil was, like Jamaica is probably the worst place that they, at least that they have visited. Possibly, I mean, it's, it's of course going to be different for every individual and every town and every family and every like socioeconomic level that you're in. But Man, it's really rough to be queer in Jamaica. Um, they will just beat you to death in the streets. Like, the homeless queer community that they visit, there are, like, there's, like, a trans woman with, like, gunshot wounds, and, like, yeah, one yeah. has acid burns. It was the same woman who had both yeah. acid burns and a gunshot wound, and when they interviewed her, her gunshot wound was, like, four days old. She was like, oh, yeah, I got shot on Monday. Um, and they, like, had a pile of bricks for self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I marked this quote that one of them said. She said, this is not a country for us. And mm-hmm. that just, like, fucking hit. Uh, real hard. Um, the first note that I have that made me angry, which is very quickly, because the, literally the first person they talked to is a Rastafarian elder. And it's my first note of something that made me angry. And he's just like doing this Rastafarian thing about how we accept everybody and we we have love for everyone. And Rastafarianism is all about accepting your your fellow man and being a community and da 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 da. And he's he's like talking very slowly and like a sage. And then Ellen Page is like, what about gay people? And he freaks the fuck out. He immediately just starts yelling at her. And he goes from zero to 60 so quickly. And it's like, oh, so all that other stuff was horseshit then. Cool. Thanks, man. Good to know that Rastafarianism is just a pile of crap. Especially when when they're talking, they, they go to this Rastafarian service and they talk about, like, you know, it doesn't matter the the color of a person's skin doesn't matter like who a person is um it's just like so interesting in this in a country that is a nation of freed people they they the pride event that is held at the end is held at emancipation square like this is this is you know that they would say oh this white colonizer you know who had put us in bondage this kind of a person we can we can have one love we can go together but one of our own who is gay that 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 is where we have to draw the line like it is such a a i don't know it it seems like such a betrayal of of everything that they're saying what Um, i didn't realize too was that 
Jamaica was a colony until 1962. I did not realize how recent that pain was. And um, the fact that they still have colonial buggery laws on the book and in effect and like being enforced is uh, something that a lot of the activists really point to as like, this didn't used to be Jamaica. Like this is Western colonial influence on our people that's still here. Like the blue lagoon tourist guy who uh, is like the, the gay tourist. I don't know what else to call it. Like he runs a, uh, a um, like travel agency essentially based in Jamaica that like organizes tours specifically for, gay people and it seems like he's taking uh like gay people from other parts of jamaica on tours and also like gay people from like other countries gay people he, from abroad. he had an explanation of like classism heavy patriarchy and the impact of colonialism as like the roots of homophobia in jamaica and i thought it was really insightful yeah um i I don't know that much about Rastafarianism, and I hate to... I know that Rastafarian, uh, like, philosophy is very, very heavily, uh, like, tied up in, uh, like, emancipation and in gaining equality for, uh, formerly enslaved and formerly oppressed people. And, like, I know that, of course, there's only a small population of Jamaica that's Rastafarianism, so I don't know enough about Rastafarianism to, like, paint all of them with a brush like that to say that sure. all of them are homophobic. But, yeah, it's, like Andy said, it's so, it's so deeply ironic to hear them say all these things about you know, how important it is to, to treat all humans as one, to, for all people to be equal, for all people to be respected and acknowledged as human, except gay people. <laughs> Those are the only ones. <laughs> There's a really, um, another, uh, uh, you know, a, a scary moment, um, scary conversation, um, where, Ellen and Ian go to have a conversation with a musician in the genre of dance hall music um, that had been uh, critic criticized across like the globe for being homophobic, transphobic, just, just, you know. Yeah. He wrote, he wrote some songs about killing gay people. So I think his name was Beanie. Uh, Beanie man. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, he, he, you know, as much as the, the Rastafarian man, uh, you know, switched his tune when it came to uh, talking about gay people, uh, it seemed like this guy had a better idea of what was coming, and he his tune was very, you know. Hostile, yeah. Hostile, I mean, you know. I want to be sensitive because we are we are we are talking about like you know black men in a predominantly black society, um, but it you know 
definitely. I think it's fair to say that the guy was hostile. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One of the, he he just, you know, gives a very, like, base level understanding of what it means to be gay, what it means to, you know, reject that. Um, And and then goes into, like, a, a, like, diatribe about, like, the fetishization, fetishization of, like, lesbians. Um, uh-huh. and, and has like a moment of clarity where he says like, you know, I, I don't understand how, like, you know, I disagree with gay people, but I also know that like, I find it hot when two women are kissing and like there, there's probably, I mean, maybe this, maybe I interpreted this wrong, but it seemed like what he was saying was, you know, there's definitely something wrong in a culture where like, that is something we find good and acceptable. But to give those people rights is out of the question. Um, yeah, he did. He, he did he seem like to acknowledge that. He d- yeah, he didn't. He didn't get deep into it. I, no. I I agree with you that he did seem to like squint for a minute and kind of realize the um, the irony of what he was saying of the conclusion that he arrived to. Right. Um, but yeah, it, he was very defensive of. Uh, like base, he kept insisting that um any stories they heard about gay people being discriminated against in Jamaica were straight up lies. He was yelling, "No, they're lies, lies, lies." Um, he kept insisting that he did this thing that all deeply homophobic people do when confronted by gay people in a situation where they don't have power like he was being interviewed obviously you know he was being interviewed by these two famous gay people and when confronted by them he was like he he did that thing where it's like oh it's not my place to tell anybody how to live you know i just have my opinion and you have every homophobe does that every homophobe is just like well it's just my opinion and we're just we're just different, you know. These are just my this, beliefs. This is this no is, big deal. Yeah, you can't criticize me for for what I believe. Uh, like it's it's really frustrating to hear people say that because you know how deeply homophobic they are. You see their actions, right? And you and hear you, their you hear their words when they think they have power in a situation. Like in his own songs, when he's writing music, he feels like he's empowered to say whatever he wants. But when confronted, uh, he doesn't have the courage to like own it. And yet he'll go right back to saying it as soon as he feels like he has control over the situation again. I feel like in Jamaica, and maybe this is, you know, a lot more widespread than I'm, you know, giving this, you know, making making it seem like. And Jamaica is just like the freshest one in my mind. Um, but it seemed like everyone who had, like even the people who were in support of things changing, were just quick to blame the country, the concept of Jamaica um, Mm -hmm. as being, you know, a little bit behind the curve, but like, you know, we can't move as fast as everyone wants us to. Like, you just have to accept that we can't move that fast. Like Jamaica's Jamaica's not going to move as fast as the USA did. Like it just like, it seemed more. Yeah. And I know that that's a a thing everywhere, but as we'll see in USA, it's more of like, I don't want the country to move that direction. I don't want things to move that fast. Here in Jamaica, it very much felt like 
I'd be fine with it. Yeah, like let's let's do this. But I just don't think Jamaica's ready for it. Jamaica's not ready for that kind of thing. It, it was just a real a, a strange scapegoating where the scapegoat is not a person. It's just like the concept of your, you know, island. My perspective on that, and I may be wrong, but my perspective on that, they were speaking to someone who I believe was a politician uh, mm-hmm. about uh, the idea of repealing these buggery laws that were put in place in like the 1800s. He's an activist. Um, the white guy that they talked to? Oh, no. Uh, I thought you were talking about Yvonne Sobers, who was a no. human rights activist. No, no, no. The, the older white guy yeah. that okay. they were talking to in that yeah. office building. Uh, I believe he was a, a, a politician or a policymaker of some kind. And he said that a lot. He said this very kind of vague, like, you know, oh, I would like to see the, the law go away, but right. it's not, you know, helpful to have that discussion right now. And that really seemed to be his way of saying, I'm not comfortable with, like, putting in place legal protection for gay people, but I'm just going to defer blame for that discomfort onto this vague ephemeral idea of, you know, society isn't ready. I think people do that a lot. I've heard people do that in other contexts. And like I said, I could be wrong. This guy could be very serious about wanting to repeal this law but uh i think it it read to me more like a deflection because of course society oh we live in a society but Mm -hmm. like society is made up of individual people of course like there there's no such thing as a society i've had um conversations with people before i've had conversations with people about like social progress And it's sort of disconcerting how a lot of people seem to think that we're, like, inevitably moving towards progress and that it doesn't require any action on their part. Oh, things are getting better for gay people. Things are getting better for black people. You know, like, don't cause a ruckus. It's going to happen. You just got to be patient. You just got to give it time. And I don't buy into that at all. Society changes through the actions of individual people. Right. Uh, Individual people have to make decisions, and when that happens times one and times two and times three, it, it then forces society to move. Well, and it's, by it's, society, I just mean, like, the collective ideals of the people. Right. The, the, the quote that everyone likes to point to is Martin Luther King's the arc of, or the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice, towards, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. The moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, but then don't pay attention to how much active bending Martin Luther King and his colleagues did to, like, work towards justice. Like, yeah, it's not something that's just going to happen because, you know, Martin Luther King might still be with us if he didn't feel like he needed to be an activist. You know, it's it's you have to work at it. I don't know the full context of that quote, but I fundamentally don't agree with it because society doesn't inevitably progress. We've seen groups of people, we've seen countries backslide from a a progressive ideal to a a much less progressive ideal all throughout his like the the tide of of human opinion 
ebbs and flows very significantly. And it's all very dependent on like what individuals do within that society. So yeah, this is, I mean, this is a long tangent, but that is just to say, I don't think Jamaica isn't ready is a real argument. Sure. I think you've got a lot of people in Jamaica who, uh, are homophobes. Uh, Let's call, let's call it what it is. Um, but I think as with anywhere in any time in all of history, people can be changed. People's minds can change. I thought it was really interesting uh, when they talked to uh, Church Bishop Alan Bailey. Um, it has been very intriguing to see Pentecostal and Evangelical Christians uh, spread their homophobia throughout uh, different uh, countries and continents. So, like, they've been very active in Africa, very active in Jamaica, uh, these these evangelical missionaries. And um, by interesting, I mean super sad and frustrating. And um, in their conversation with him, he was talking about, you know, this is why I'm against or this is why God is against it. And he names these sex acts and he names like two or three really normal ones. He's like oral sex, fisting. And then he says slurching and (laughs) Ellen and Ian are like slurching. I don't know what slurching, what, what was that? Well, he, all the things he names, first of all, are things that straight people can do participate in. Yeah. Plenty of straight people enjoy, you know, sex with their hands, uh, you know, however it is that they want to do that, whether it be fisting or, um, you know, whatever, what have you, uh, plenty of straight people enjoy oral sex, plenty of straight people enjoy anal sex. Um, but yeah, uh, Ian like makes this homophobic Bishop explain this sex act (laughs) and it is, you know, are there two or three people out there who are into what this dude explains? Maybe. Is it a widespread thing in queer communities? Absolutely not. I had genuinely never, never heard, heard of it. it. And yeah. even after he explained what the word meant, I was like, oh man. That's okay. Yeah. And like I guess. <laughs> I have I have definitely heard from many a pastor or many many a religious leader that gay people are into um you know, weird and horrible versions of sex. And like, as someone who has been in a, in a committed gay relationship for five years now, uh, there ain't nothing more perverse going on here than anywhere else. Uh, and hearing this bishop, uh, it was like a chick track. It that, like that's what it reminded me of. Like it, it, it sounded like this bizarre made up thing that like you scare the children because the boogeyman is 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 doing it. I'm genuinely curious where he heard that. Like, how did he find that out? Who gave him that information? He I, could have just like I said, I had never heard this term before. Um, I'm what he described. I'm sure in the abstract, people have done. But like this, uh, 
I, I want to know Lord, what this guy's reading. I want to know where he. I want to know what porn sites he's on. In the year of our Lord 2020, you can find, you know, porn on anything. And you know, there's. I'm sure there's like toaster porn. Like it, it just it's out there and it exists somewhere in the ether. But uh, yeah, I completely agree. Like this, this isn't a thing, and uh, I think it's definitely like made up <laughs> like it i mean it's I one of those things where it just feels very like projecty like yeah it, it, it's like w- like a bunch of passengers sit around and like what's the weirdest thing we can think of that people will do with their bodies that's what gay people do that's, yeah what that's, is the <laughs> it, it felt like at liberty they were constantly being like east cast East Campus is overrun with lesbians, and we need to pray for East Campus because there is a spirit of lesbian rebellion on it. And, you know, like, don't let your girlfriends dorm on East Campus because they're all going to be lesbians, and they're all having lesbian hand sex over on East Campus. And it was like, you hear this, this male religious student life leader in his 40s, like, shouting at this group of young men about the lesbians on East Campus. And it's like, you seem a little too <laughs> obsessed with the lesbians on East Campus, my guy. Like, maybe just chill out, dude. I think this bishop is into slurching. I mean, he knew very specific, like, it, it, it's one Should of those Should we say things. what it is? Is that, is that like going to podcast taken I don't think so. It's, okay. It is... It is if it's your thing, we are not here to yuck any yums, but it is it is um certainly something that this uh bishop, this this, you know, Christian evangelical Alan Bailey, Bishop Alan Bailey Alan is real Bailey, into slurching. Uh found very repugnant and mm-hmm. uh, and upon, interesting. And interesting upon hearing it, <laughs> Ellen and Ian definitely gave a look of exactly what we're saying, like, I don't think that's a thing, my dude. Like what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Um, we do end the episode as, uh, as Evan mentioned with a, uh, the first pride event, um, hard to call it a pride festival or, or, or a pride, uh, march or anything like that, but the first pride event in Jamaica's history, which is a huge deal. Um, there was like a party the night before, which was hopping it was full it was Mm -hmm. slammed and then the event itself had about 30 participants give or take yeah they called it a flash mob so they went to um a monument a monument to the emancipation of jamaica and they had like this choreographed dance that they all did and there were not a ton of onlookers to be honest and I, i assume that they uh like did some additional like events at least among themselves later in the day but it was like a public event that they did like a public mm-hmm. display of you know gay pride and uh it was very hopeful for you know as depressing as the Jamaica episode was on the whole um a lot of the activists expressed hope that things were improving um one of the there was a young man they spoke to who had been who had sought uh 
like health services who he was HIV positive and had sought health services from this clinic that was uh like caring for uh queer people in Jamaica and he said that I mean he was still very depressed and very cut off from his family but he he said that like thank god I have hope now like thank god that someone's doing this and I have some kind of resources that I can use and there are people who won't uh like alienate me and look down on me when I go to them for help. So yeah, it, it get definitely with it, like, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you know, and this could be a good transition back over to, um, the USA episode, but it, it is something that Ellen talks about, um, after her conversation with, with Ted Cruz of just like, you know, it, it, we, we talk about Jamaica and how, you know, the the aversion to progress being because you know progress is just hard to do and we don't want to rock the boat it's like well that has real ramifications like that this 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 you know albeit small event made a huge deal to to this gentleman and and to i have to imagine many many others and to me you know it, it, it is it was a truly hopeful display and to make that not to make that appear to be unacceptable based on the laws that you are enacting that you are enforcing and failing to dismantle is it is having real ramifications that are are harming people and keeping them from experiencing the joy that they truly could. Um, which is something that Ellen speaks to directly after speaking to the family of a uh, slain uh, transgender woman. Um, and, and talking about Ted Cruz and his comments and how it directly correlates and directly like leads to these kind of acts of violence. Um, but we'll get to Ted Cruz later because there's 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 some more hopeful stuff earlier in the USA episode we can talk about. Well, we can transition straight to Ted Cruz. Yeah, fuck Ted Cruz. Fuck, fuck Ted, Cruz. Ted Cruz. So something that really made me what mad, a little twerp, is when Ted weenie. when Ted Cruz is like, "Who's being thrown in jail in this country? Like, what are you talking about?" Because because Ellen confronts him and they have this kind of debate, and like. Literally, Ellen talks to gay elders in this retirement community who had the shit beat out of them by gay vice squads. Like, there are people alive in this country who were thrown in jail for being gay. And, like, the U.S., when we rescued people from concentration camps in Nazi Germany, throw the gay prisoners back in jail. Like, our country has a horrible horrible history when it comes to criminalizing queer identities and queer bodies and Ted Cruz is such a fucking twerp just spineless like just just a spineless twerp. sad little weaselly man oh sad he's being thrown in jail in this crap. country like fuck you Ted Cruz like we have been right. there are people alive today who have been 
And this, he's like, well, we have to protect Christians from being persecuted. And Ellen Page is like, being persecuted from what? And he's like, for, for their religious beliefs. And she's like, those beliefs are bigotry. They're discrimination. Like, you don't have a protected right in this country to be able to discriminate against people. Like, that's fucking bonkers. It's funny. There was a, a couple, an older couple that... uh Ellen and Ian were sitting next to at the um the Ted Cruz rally. They went to the rally just in hopes of like getting to talk to Ted Cruz, which they ultimately did. They ultimately kind of like tracked him down while he was like he was clearly doing a paid spot for like the pork producers of America. <laughs> he had like the pork logo on an apron. Anyway, they tracked him down while he was eating a pork chop <laughs> which like i know you're gonna go into but like imagine your imagine having to listen to ted cruz for like your job and then it doesn't even your job didn't even get done and you had to listen to fucking ted cruz for absolutely nothing i i do love the other reporter lady who was like asking oh, yeah. ellen like what are you gonna ask him about and ellen like giggles and gets a really mischievous look on her face and she's like gay shit and the other reporter lady is like oh this is gonna be great and like yeah. he, like raises the, the camera that up. specific reporter was filming both of that like as soon yeah. as ellen started talking she was like oh yeah <laughs> um but uh the the couple the the older couple they sat next to who were clearly you know pro ted cruz they just started sort of conversationally like oh so what are some things you like about ted cruz and they were like well he protects religious rights we feel like our rights are being eroded and she was like oh what uh what specifically like what can you give me an example and she was like well you know in this country it's not freedom of religion anymore it's freedom from religion and we don't think that's right and she was like oh yeah it, it was just they couldn't even like think up an example of their rights as Christians having been taken from that. Like the, when asked directly by someone, they were like, well, just in general, you know, just like abstractly in the, in the vague sense, you know, our rights, our, our Christian rights, our rights as Christians, those, we want them. They're, they're going away. And it was, it was really, it was really funny. It was very telling. Yeah, the whole Iowa segment, it like, <laughs> it just, it was, it was too, like, the way that Jamaica was scary and the way that Jamaica was, was heartbreaking. This was just so close to home. I mean, granted, we are nowhere close to Iowa, but those uh, philosophies and we ideals they we all know travel. those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, oh, you, you go, Ronnie. No, I was just, it just, that was the, the level of, of, of queasiness I felt during that of just like, we're back in America, like, and, and we're here, but it's still, it's st like to lead off the episode. I think it was, it was very well done to, while not leading off the episode, leading off the, the, you know, um, the progress in the USA with um, legalizing gay marriage um, and then immediately going to Iowa to like show like, yeah, that's not, that's not the whole story. Like that the fight is 
definitely not over. Like it was, it was, uh, it was well, well, uh, well edited and, and definitely hit very close to home. I need to talk about the Bontrager family singers. Yeah, yeah get into it. <laughs> I need to talk about the Bontrager family singers. Uh, these people could have been at the church I grew up in. They could have been at the church I was a pastor at. They could have been in my home. Like, <laughs> uh, these fucks. Uh, there's like nine of them. And then the mom and the dad and I think like more. I think they have like 10 kids and then it's like two the two pa- parents. Yeah, yeah. Nine of them being like nine children. A ton. Uh, just a just, just, just an unholy amount of children. Just a whole. They could. They're functionally their own cult. And just they're with, just with the amount of children they have. They're like all homeschooled and uh, they're like this Christian singing group that tore around. A la the Partridge family, except, you know. And. Um, the children go to bed and Ellen and Ian talk to the the older children and the mom and dad. And it's really just the oldest son and the mom and dad who talk. And Ellen asks them, you know, a bunch of questions about their views on homosexuality. And they kind of dance around, you know, what is and isn't bigotry. And they dance around, you know, what... Uh, you know, how their views are or are not hateful. And it gets to one point where the mom says, there's so much despair in your community. I don't see peace or happiness or joy. And I don't think it's because they can't get married in this certain church. It's because they're not living according to God's plan. And that is not quite word for word, but it is incredibly close to something uh, my own mom told me was that I would never be happy or find fulfillment if I went with Evan. If I left our home, I would never be happy. I would never find joy. I would always feel empty. And it's, I think, a prevailing myth among evangelicals is that the the queer lifestyle is inherently sad. It is inherently full of despair. It is inherently um, depressing. And it's not because of persecution and it's not because we're discriminated against. It's because it is inherently a punishment built into being gay. And that's, that's a load of horseshit. Uh, I am so much happier having been out of the closet. Uh, I am so much less afraid. I am full of joy in my life and, uh, fuck these people. Um, they also then compare it to pedophile, pedophilia and bestiality, which, uh, is a go-to argument for evangelicals that if we legalize same-sex marriage, then we're going to have to legalize bestiality and pedophilia because what is marriage? Um, and that's, that's real fucked up. And in fact, my old church added to their 
uh, statement on homosexuality, a line about bestiality after it came out as an extra little fuck you to Andy. Uh, you know, they, they went in and added that, which is real fun. I, I don't think about that constantly. I had a conversation unrelated to gaycation with Kim about this, like, fixation that evangelicals have with comparing homosexuality to, uh, bestiality and pedophilia. And I, I, the only way I think that someone can understand being gay as being the same as wanting to fuck a horse is if you have a perception of sex that it is something done to someone else. Like there's I, a there's I, a popular text post where it says it like this comparison only works if you view marriage as a relationship between a man and his sex object and not between two consenting partners yeah. because a horse can't consent and a child can't consent. Yeah, I mean it seems obvious to any rational person that two individuals who are capable of consenting can mutually agree to be in a relationship with each other. Obviously, a child or an animal cannot consent to being in a relationship. Like, so I, I just don't understand. The only way that, from my perspective, a, a person could come to the conclusion that being gay is the same as fucking a horse is if they don't understand sex as a equal partnership and active participation between two people who are actively consenting, but as an act done by one person right. to another person or thing. It, and it that's also, alarming. <laughs> yeah. And it also like, like goes back to the projecting conversation of like whoever starts these things and really figure feels that they are like the key to like, aha, well, I figured it out now really feels like a bunch of evangelicals wearing t-shirts that say my uh, I don't want to fuck a horse t-shirt is drawing a lot of questions already answered answered by my t-shirt. Um, <laughs> like it just like, do you, you, you want to fuck a horse? Is that, is that what this is about? Like you're, you're mad that like, this is okay, but, but your weird thing's not okay. Is that, is that what this is about? Um, <laughs> It's just, it is, it is strange that that is, those are like the go-to. They talk to Seth, who is a data analysis, who's trying to like figure out how many gay people there are, uh, which sounds something like the Sentinels and Senator Kelly. I was just going to say like this, <laughs> this data is definitely going to get into the hands of the, uh, but, the mutant, the mutant uh, repellent board or whatever they are. Uh, he, he talks about how on the, like, consent, the census, 1% of adult men are, are gay, and he's like, that, that I, data I is just I think in. that question exists on the census. I think he must have gotten that somewhere else, but. Just anyway. a survey. But yeah. Whatever. Uh, he's, he's like, that's, that's inaccurate. That number is too small, and, uh, like, because of how queer people are treated, they are inherently suspicious of answering these questions honestly. But if we look at the data, anal data analytics for uh, gay porn searches, uh, the number looks much higher. And if we then look at 
uh, the searches immediately after watching gay porn, which is something we can do, um, we see that these people are immediately questioning, uh, like the top search after looking at gay porn in really homophobic areas and states is, uh, like, am I gay test is like the next search thing. And he was like, using this data, it's much closer to 5% of the adult male population in the U.S. is gay, which is very high. Uh, like 5% is, is no small thing. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people. I still felt yeah. like that was, you know, I um, guess, I guess if you're only extrapolating like, you know, gay men, I just feel like the, the queer percentage writ large is, has got to be a oh, little bit higher than that. Oh, for sure. And this is again, just like using analytics and like porn searches. There are plenty of gay mm. men who don't watch porn. I'm sure. Um, yeah, and that doesn't factor in like other LGBT identities. That seems or the only... weird porn. <laughs> um, yeah, furries. I guess. Or, <laughs> but yeah, like um, uh, he, he, yeah, he was just specifically looking at searches related to gay porn, and what he came up with was about five percent of men watch gay porn. Which, so, like, I'm sure yeah. I know that they're probably using that which, as like a gay male porn. They're, they're using that as a category of just like gay porn, but I have to like the most heterosexual thing that you could search on a computer is just gay porn. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm like, sure. I'm sure that the guy has done a lot more in-depth data sure. analysis than that and was just uh, like, you know, doing broad strokes for the yeah. television show. But yeah. Yeah, but I definitely got a vibe that like, ooh, this data is going to fall into the wrong hands. I don't like this. I don't yeah. like this yeah. one bit. <laughs> Um, I want to talk a little bit about the like health center for trans youth and specifically yeah. they, they, um, they frame this in a really positive light and they talk to some teenagers who were, um, getting some really fantastic, uh, both health support and mental health support from this facility. Um, but as a trans person, a, a common misunderstanding i don't know if it's i don't know if i should generously call it a misunderstanding a common attack i see on uh the very concept of being trans which has been redoubled by jk rowling recently unfortunately uh, fuck jk rowling yeah fuck her she's she's a turf and we should not continue to buy her things and we should not continue to platform her by uh expressing interest in Harry Potter. I'm sorry, Potterheads. I'm one of you. I know. I get it. It's how, it's, um, it's how fucked that, like, everything is right now that, like, Johnny Depp was removed from the Fantastic Beast movie, and for a second I was like, oh, I can watch that. No, I can't. Like, everybody is terrible. Um, but anyway, uh, a common uh, attack on trans people I see is this idea that uh, children are being forced to hastily transition at just an incredibly young age that these doctors are, are throwing hormones at these 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, or that children are getting surgeries before they're old enough to understand what's going on. And uh, because they didn't address this specifically in the episode, I know that most of our listeners probably know this, but I just want to like say this explicitly for anyone who maybe doesn't know much about trans healthcare, 
there is no one in the United States, I have no idea about the laws in other countries, but I suspect this is true elsewhere too. There is no one anywhere in the United States that is performing gender-affirming surgeries on children. It simply does not happen. No one anywhere in the United States is giving any kind of permanent, uh, like, body-altering anything to children who are too young to understand what's going on. If you have ever heard about a young teenager having some kind of surgery, I can virtually guarantee you that what they were getting was a hormone blocker, which is 100% reversible. It's an implant kind of like a birth control implant. They like put it just under your skin and it continuously releases like a super, super low dose of something. I'm not sure what. I'm not a scientist, but it essentially just delays puberty and that gives trans young people longer to decide if they want to go forward with any other kind of medical transition. But I want to make it clear to everyone that just because these support centers for trans and gender nonconforming youth exist doesn't mean that these children are being given medical procedures or being given hormones. They're primarily being given affirming care that helps them figure out if they are trans and if they are trans, if they do want to eventually pursue any kind of medical transition. And if they don't, then that's fine. Uh, this is the position of uh, WPATH, which is the authority on uh, trans healthcare in the US. Uh, they don't advocate for any kind of, any kind of permanent choice for children that are too young to understand, like, the full ramifications of what's going on. From here, can I talk about the L.A. homeless youth? Sure. Ellen and Ian spent time with uh, some homeless youth in L.A. and kind of, like, walked around with them and got to learn about their lives. And uh, it turns out L.A. is the homeless youth capital of the U.S., and they spent time at a shelter that is, you know, focusing on helping homeless queer youth in L.A. And just something that made me so mad was the fucking, like, Save Our Children, like, QAnon, right-wing conspiracy people are the same sort of people who are kicking their children out of their homes for being queer. And, um, I don't know, it's just really heartbreaking that the people who are up in arms over, like, you know, trans youth getting affirming care and, you know, railing against the gays indoctrinating children or whatever. And, you know, they're the same sort of people who are, you know, talking about liberals drinking the blood of fetuses or whatever the fuck these people get up to in arms about now are the people who are throwing their kids out and forcing their kids out of their families. and Which then results in them for being forced into, like, survival sex work. Yeah. I mean, is the unfortunate reality. Uh, when uh, young adults don't receive, like, support from their families, when they're rejected by their families, even if they're, uh, like, even if they don't, 
like turn to prostitution specifically. There was a, an activist working at one of these homeless youth centers who said that um, the people they work with end up doing what what they called survival sex for a lot of reasons. So like if they don't have a place to sleep, you know, they might go to a club and hook up with someone so that they can stay at their house for a couple of days. Not because they want to, but because they're put in such a desperate situation that they have no choice but to essentially be, like, pressed into sex work. And it's real fucked up. <sighs> I have a bunch of happy stuff to talk about, but Ronnie, do you have any anything um, to, add to talk about? Not necessarily, like, I mean, it, it's probably a transition to happy, specifically when it comes to the the two people that they speak to in LA, um, the the queer young people, um, who they talk about, you know, never belonging in their own family and never having somebody that they could talk to as they are like embracing each other and and you know reassuring each other that they have someone in this moment. It it just like it's something that's so like simple and something that is so taken for granted, but like it, 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 it just really hit me hard as they're trying to like have these conversations and talk to, you know, Ellen page, um, and just like, cannot speak without breaking down, but finding that, compassion in somebody not in their family not in their church not in the community that they grew up in who you know probably said was going to support them but in somebody who you know they they found who was in the similar situation it's so it's so trite and it's so like it, it it's almost like obvious to to like talk about but it just the the simplicity and the beauty and the heartbreak that I felt all at the same time was just like like damn like we are failing so miserably and and people like that are thriving despite it it's it, thriving is you know even a, even a intense word to use but you know it, it just it was powerful as, I, as much of this is I am constantly blown away by the radical act that is being queer mm -hmm. and choosing to find joy because it is I um I once said to my my dad that I um you know, when I was a pastor, I was always labeled as a little rebellious. And I was kind of like, when I was in seminary and, and, and coming up, you know, I was, uh, my, my one pastor, Pastor Matt called me a maverick and he's like, Andy, you're, you know, you're going to get in trouble. You're, you're always, you've always been a little rebellious. And I never expected that the most rebellious thing I would ever do was choose to love someone. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's wild that that is the, that is the thing that was too far for these people was 
me loving another person. Um, but being queer and finding joy is a rebellious and a radical act. And uh, Gaycation is constantly showing how strong these people are. And it, it's, it's bullshit because they shouldn't have to be. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to be that strong and put up with that shit. But, um, yeah, these, these people are amazing. Yeah. Talk about some good shit. Okay, I have three huge highlights for... Okay, four. I have four huge happiness highlights. Um, The first one is the indigenous queer people. Yeah. The two-spirit people. Um, just incredible. Uh, I loved the phrase, which was like... I don't know if knitted is the right word. Maybe sewn into like a patch and it said there are no closets in teepees. Yeah. Just made me real happy. It it's it's like it, it you know, a lot of this has has um, you know, based around the fact that westernization and colonization brought homophobia with it. But this Ellen brings up just really is a absolutely clear indication that like it's not a western idea that it's it's okay to be queer it's you know it's not like very like new age to be you know okay with with gay people it's like these are people that have had that identity without you know western words for it for the entirety of their of their culture also more than one gender Yes. Which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so important how um the 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 main two spirit person that they talked to explained why it's not okay for white people to use that that word mm. to describe themselves. Um which you know is important. That's that's something that's not ours it's theirs yeah uh anything about that that you want to say or should i move on to my next one or do you have one no i enjoyed that too it was i mean very hopeful Mm -hmm. obviously but yeah no go ahead uh cunt mafia everything about cunt mafia was fucking cool (laughs) yeah uh i don't know nearly as much as i should about voguing and dance hall culture. I know that it was a huge part of queer liberation and continues to be a very important part of queer culture, but like living out in the sticks, I just like, I feel like I don't have any vines into that world and getting a brief look at it here through Ian and Ellen, who are also, you know, new to it was just really, really cool. And Ellen had a, comment that activism isn't always political. It's about how you come together and create a community. And I thought that was just fucking rad. And yeah, Cup Mafia was was dope. Y'all have anything about Cup Mafia? No, I agree. I just like yeah. saying that. that <laughs> yeah, <product. okay. laughs> yeah, they were they were just super cool. Um uh Rocco and Amos from Original Plumbing talking about trans mm. men and like 
what it is to be a trans man and to face those issues. Uh, so often trans men are just invisible. Like you don't hear them get talked about like at all. And like to some degree, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a trans man, but to some degree that seems like a shield, but then it's also got to be like disheartening too. Yeah. I've, uh, I identified with everything they were saying. I felt everything that they were saying. I'm I'm a very binary trans man. Like I in every respect want to be regarded as cis in every aspect of my life. I really don't um I don't make a point of bringing up that I'm trans. I really I'm I'm not out at my job even though I know that it's like we have other trans people at work like openly trans people so i know that i would be fine i know that i would be safe and like nobody would treat me badly but people treat you differently when they know that you're trans even if you have even if they have the best intentions even if they're the strongest allies in the world once they know Every now and then, I'll pick up on something and realize, like, they wouldn't have said that to me if they didn't know I was trans. And again, it it's usually very well intended. It's usually completely innocent. But it serves to remind me periodically when I'm not expecting it that I'm different from everybody else, you know? So on the one hand, I'm not ashamed of being trans, and I'm I'm willing to talk about it you know, in trusted company. But on the other hand, I also still have a fear that people are going to find out. Even if nothing quote-unquote bad happens, I, I have this, like, lingering feel that I'm, fear that I'm going to be outed and that that's going to affect my relationships in some some kind of a way that I don't necessarily know. They were both hot, too. They were both very hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't quite know what Original Plumbing is. It's some sort of magazine where they, they talk about, uh, I guess, like, trans issues, and all the photography looked very, very good. Uh, but, yeah, check out Original Plumbing. These guys seem real cool. My last one was the Gay Retirement Home. Yeah. Just real cool. Ugh. And they they talked to Ed about gay vice squads and shit and he had a partner for 34 years and then they talked to a bunch of other queer elders and it's um it's something that we don't get to see much of because I think I talked about last week how we have an entire missing generation thanks to uh ronald reagan and um it's just so it, it it always seems so valuable to get to hear from gay elders in this country and um i'm real happy that a place like that exists we live literally next door to uh a gay couple in They've got to be in their seventies at least. They're yeah. very, they're very old fellows, 
And I don't want to be invasive because, of course, we're we're friends. We're like neighbor friends. You know, we say, hey, when we're checking the mail and we always go uh, hang out with them for a few hours, like right before Christmas. And we give them little neighbor presents. But like. I'm always thinking like I should like. I don't know, ask them about their experiences. They've, we've had casual conversations about they were like, oh, yeah. In the 60s, this and that, and they told us how they met and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like they're uh, surely such a, a font of firsthand knowledge about gay life in like the middle of the century that like I don't know. I, I don't know how to respond. I, they I, have gave an us urge, a, I have an urge to collect stories from them, but I, I think that's a little bit invasive. I don't think we're that close, you know? They gave us a, a, a cardboard box full of paperback gay yeah, romance these, novels. These pulp gay fiction novels. From like the <laughs> 50s and 60s. And, I think uh, most of them are from like the late 80s. But. Oh, okay. I don't know. They, they seem real old. They got them yellow pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Yeah, that was just a really sweet gift that they gave us. Um, I have not read any of them yet. I I guess I should, but they've got very, they've got the exact sort of covers you'd expect. Yeah, <laughs> very very corny romance novel covers. Um, but yeah, they're they're rad. And uh, watching Ellen and Ian talk to these queer elders was super cool. They're when they're talking to Ed, um, in in his apartment. Um, you know, they're, they're this sweet little old man, um, like having these conversations about like really difficult things and really, you know, the past that, um, of, of being beaten. And, and as you said, Andy, like the vice squads and, and, and just the fear that like, gripped him and his partner and his community for decades um and i don't know why i don't know if this is a thing i don't know why this like stuck out to me but there was this like very ornate tea set like that obviously was was you know picked up at you know who knows where it was picked up but was definitely like very intentionally picked out for how like beautiful it was or, or, or how, you know, whatever the reason doesn't matter. I just felt like, I don't know why this stuck out to me, but I just felt like an enormous hope based on the fact that this man who endured some of the hardest times in history to be himself now gets to like live in such a way and, and like, be in such a way that like finding a tea set is is like something he can enjoy do like I, again like that I, I don't know if I'm like saying it correctly or or sh- or sharing what I'm it's just like the fact that in spite of that entire past he can be at such a place of peace and like away from that that like that is that is an element it's not just the bare bones of like nope I, i'm just 
strictly here on survival. I'm just, you know, trying to get by. It's like he is luxuriating in the life that he has been able to survive into in, in, in his old age. And it's just like, you know, there there's I'm sure a certain amount of, of people would find that like that kind of hope empty. The people that are really going through it now. But just like I I don't know, I, I felt very happy that that is like a thing that he can be involved with and a thing he can do. And um, it just, it just felt incredibly hopeful that there's that kind of future available. If, you know, we just protect people and allow them to get to that point of life. Well, it's the, it's the sort of thing that I never thought I would have. Like I thought I would live my entire life in the closet keeping everyone around me at arm's length so that they wouldn't find out or I thought you know maybe I'll give in to these queer desires and I'll live this debaucherous awful life and then die of a drug overdose or AIDS or something because that's that's what happens to gay people. Those are the only stories you hear about queer people. Well, like those were the only stories I heard. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's I was told you. those even, were the options. Even people who don't grow up in like evangelical communities, like, I mean, obviously it's more or less concentrated depending on who you are, where you go. But there are a lot of queer stories that are just about people being sad and dying. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I, I think about it constantly how, like, one of my favorite things to do is to get my coffee, go out on my porch and just drink it and bask in the fact that I have this beautiful life with Evan and with our housemate Kim and our three cats and our beautiful weird house and I drink my coffee on my porch and I think about how fucking lucky I am and how happy I am. And like, I have absolutely lost things that I wish I hadn't. I've absolutely had to leave things that were important to me behind, but I would make those choices every single time. Because what I've gained is so much more. And I fucking love my life. And I, I, I'm i the luckiest person in the world. Like, I might not have everything that I wanted, but I have everything I need. And I'm thrilled. Being gay is great. It's very good. Thank you for saying what I was trying to say much more eloquently. No, you did a good job, Ronnie. I knew, I understood what you were, what you were saying. I agree with you. Um, not to diminish what you were saying, but it's very funny how Christians believe that gays are sad and depressed and despairing. Um, but at the same time, I, uh, I would be hard pressed to find a Christian who likes their spouse. (laughs) I mean, like, I honestly, all they ever do is complain about how much they hate their spouses. I don't get it. Why'd you get married? 
Straights aren't okay. So no. one thing is they get married real quick because premarital sex is a sin and they can't control their horny urges. So they have real short engagements. They get married real quick and real young and they pop out a bunch of kids and then divorce is a sin. So they can't leave. So they're mm-hmm. stuck there with someone who they don't really quite know. And then they throw a bunch of extra responsibility on of raising children and then, uh, yeah, also, like, a lot of their shit is, like, really defined by gender roles, too. And if you don't quite fit those gender roles, like, tough, like, figure it out. Yeah, I don't even know So any, it's, it's just a mess. I don't even know any Christian couples who have hobbies that they do together. You know, like, they, they don't even share any common interests. Like... They're not is, expected to do... Is church a hobby? Is church a common interest? I, I would think that they would say no. I would think that they would say church isn't a hobby, but, like, it's it's so, it's so... They seem to think that it's normal to just live your entire lives, like, in conflict with each other. Like, the dudes only ever want to watch the sports, and the women only ever want to, I don't know... Shop. Do, yeah, yes. go shopping. Uh, like... Never mind that, generally speaking, that's, I mean, I'm sure some people like sports and some people like shopping, and I'm sure that, like, the cultural groups they're in reinforce that, even if their interest in that thing would otherwise be, like, very, very minimal. But, like, you know, it's okay to do things together, Christians. This is the Christ- this has become the Christian uh, uh, marital advice podcast now. <laughs> Anyway, I my was, point is, my point is, I was is, literally just thinking that many, I mean, not just couples and not just in relationships, but goodness gracious, so many Christians or even just not gay adjacent people could really do from just, I guess that's the whole concept of queer eye, but like could really do from just getting a lesson from a bunch of gay people. Hang out with your spouse. Man, or like, if you don't like hanging out with someone, don't marry them. I, I, whatever. Talk to them, communicate. Yeah. Tell, tell them what sex act that you would prefer. Yeah. I have, uh, I've had people from my old life who are very close to me be like, you don't understand the burden of marriage. Uh And it's like, yo, I've been living with my partner for longer than you and your spouse have been married, like just because we don't have it like legally recognized. Like I've been in a, a serious committed relationship uh, where we own a house longer than you. Why the fuck is this a burden for you <laughs> so quickly? Like, what are you, what are you guys doing wrong? And first of all, and second of all, like who are you to lecture me on this? Like that's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Also, you chose that, man. Ain't nobody made you. Yeah, that too. Anyway, and no one is we continuing should, to make you. Yeah, we should wrap up our Christian uh, marital advice yeah. podcast. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you both for, for sharing. I know a lot of this stuff uh, is a lot. And I, I you know, I appreciate Honey, thank it. you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. We're all we're all sharing. I, I hope our audience appreciates it and hope that that. Uh, 
it gives them permission to to share with people in their lives. I fired they... off those four things I really liked, but did y'all have anything else you wanted to talk about? Things no, you liked? You, you covered I feel it like, for me. Yeah, I also, uh, maybe I'm misremembering, but I do feel like I blended in some things I liked yeah. as I was just talking about different sections. But yeah, there were genuinely a lot of hopeful things in there. Oh, hearing Alan and Ian talk about their queer journeys at the end of the episode, I thought was really insightful and, and positive. Yep. Found family and, and, you know, the lengths you go to to keep that is, is uh, it was really touching. Um, yeah, this is a good series. Thank you for, for exposing me to this. Yeah, it's a tough one, but it's it's real good. I like it very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is the end of season one, um, but it is not the end of our discussion of Gaycation, because as we've discussed, there's two seasons of this show. Um, so we'll Only be back. Only four episodes per season, though, so. Right, right. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be there pretty soon. Uh, we'll be back uh, next time with uh two more of these we're, we're doing this one nice and slow uh because we have to um we, we couldn't do it any other way and also i hope you are uh enjoying us just kind of like taking a slow meander through uh through this journey together um this is uh Is there anything else? I don't think so. No, we love okay. you. We don't love tell, you. Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou or whatever we do now. Yeah, you could find us online. Just search it. <laughs> it's okay. You can do the plug, Ronnie. Nah. I w- I w- if you, if you know, I don't know. I guess, maybe if you're, sh- I guess if you're this far into the podcast, this probably isn't the first episode you're listening to. Yeah. But, uh. Um. I don't know if you feel compelled to share a story and you want to share it with somebody, uh, you know, whether it's based on gaycation or just based on the, the stories that we're talking about, you can send it anonymously to, uh, penningpot at gmail.com and we don't have to share it with our audience. You can just share it with us. We, we can be your, your space to do that with, um, yeah. Um, or, or just follow us on Twitter and DM us and tweet at us and, you know, we'll, 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 we can we'll go on our own little gaycation on the internet because that's the only vacation you should be going on right now. What with the global pandemic. Um, follow us on Twitter, like I said, at PendingPod. You can follow us on Facebook at PendingPod. Uh, follow us on Instagram at ending pending. I promise I'm going to start posting more stuff there at some point. Um, send us an email pendingpod at gmail.com. Uh, and remember, fuck the police, abolish the electoral college, fuck Ted Cruz, fuck, fuck Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. <laughs>